Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, uh, let's get on into the message this morning. We're going to finish up this morning in Psalms 23. We started this off by the fact that we were making mention that, that location is more than a destination. It also includes time. It also includes the time that you're in. If you had a GPS and it was showing that your location was such and such, it would also be a clock there that tells you the time that that took place. Are you hearing me? And we were, uh, and it's important for all of us to understand the times that we're living in just as much as it is the day, the, the, the location that you're living in. You know, we understand that the days before in Psalms 22, uh, it makes mention about seven different scripture verses there that Jesus said before he died, like, why hast thou forsaken me? And different things like that. We can see the end of a dispensation taking place right there in Psalms 22, where Jesus has given his life, bringing an end to the law, bringing an end to this particular thing as they step into the newness of the church age that we're involved in today, the day of grace. And then if we jump over to chapter 24, we can see the new, the new millennium, the, uh, the millennium reign of the church. But right sandwiched between the two is Psalms 23. And that's the days that we live in. The days that we live in. And our location is between Jesus' victory on the cross and the future millennial reign of his church. Psalms 23 is our day upon the earth. This is our day. This is when we're here. And Psalms 23 reveals God's plan and how we are to live in our day. In our day. And so we, we began to uh, take this and look at it, and you'll see that there's, there's uh, different things that are needed. But, uh, you know, we, we need to grab a hold of what did Jesus have to say about this? What does the scripture say about the day that we live in, the time that we live in? Because, see, if you're looking or waiting for a new president or Congress to change things, well, you may be looking for a long time. If you're looking for them to, to see how they're going to change and lower inflation and, and lower, loosen regulations on, on businesses and on our lives, uh, then we're probably going to be waiting for quite a while. Because, see, the world isn't going to get better. It's going to get worse. But the church, the church has a promise. We have a promise. And he wrote it out for us to see in Psalms 23. He's saying this is how you are to operate. And he paints a great picture there, how we're to operate in this day, in the church age. Amen? And so why don't we go ahead and go to Psalms 23. I need to get there. And we'll just look at verse 1 to start with. And one of the most important parts is, we'll just go ahead and begin. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's the NIV. Uh, King James says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. And as we mentioned the first uh, week, we talked about the fact that it's the Lord, the Creator, the one that creates everything that you can see and everything that you can't see. He made it all. 
And you know what? He is my shepherd. He's not somebody else's shepherd. He's my shepherd. You see, you have to get it to a personal level. It has to become personal with you. If he's your personal savior, surely he's your personal shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He'd do it if I was the only sheep in the whole flock. He would do it for me. He would do all of this for me. Why? Because he's my shepherd. Say, he is my shepherd. And we need to grab a hold of that and make sure that we understand that he is our shepherd. And you know what? It says, I shall not want. You know why I shall not want? Because he'll lay his life down for the sheep. He says that I am the great shepherd. And I lay my life down for the sheep. He goes through the scriptures and he says, I know sheep wander off. They, they're kind of finicky. They're, they're, they don't think real well sometimes. They just kind of do their own thing. He said, but you know what? I love them. And I'll lay my life down for them. I do all of this because of my relationship with them. He said, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now, I may mention the first week about how the fact that sheep won't lie down no matter where they are, if there's problems. And there's four problems that they usually will have to face. One is, is there are predators outside the flock. If there's a fear that somebody's going to get them, because, see, they're flight animals. If they see or sense a predator on the outside, a wolf or a lion or a bear or something like that, they may uh, try to kill them. They won't lie down because they got to get up and be, they got to be ready to go. They're not going to be laying around. And then the other part is, is the fact that if there's any... Uh, problems of fear dealing with those that's within the flock. Maybe uh, somebody's in there headbutting you all the time. You know what I'm saying? And if there's a fear there, then you won't lay down either. So he keeps peace within the flock. So if there's fear that's, that's taking place, some strife and envy and all kind of stuff going on within the flock, then he'll separate and do what he needs to so they can lie down. Another reason why sheep will not lie down even though it's a great green pasture, is the fact that there's pestilence. And those pestilence aggravate them and bother them and, and lay eggs and do all kinds of things in their nostrils and it just drives them, it bugs them, okay? And so they just kind of, they can't lay down and be still. So he makes sure that that's taken care of. And the last is the fact that if they feel a, or sense that there's no provision available for them, nothing to eat, no water or whatever, then they won't lie down. But we can see here he makes them lie down in green pastures. How many of you know he, he doesn't have them laying in the desert? He doesn't have them laying out here on grass that's, that's been eaten all the way down to it's just dust. No, it's green pastures. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd wants us to lie down and be at peace from without, from within, nothing bugging us. And what? knowing that all provision is taken care of, so I shall not want. I will not want. He's taken care of, taking care of everything. Everything I'll ever have need of has been taken care of. He goes on and says, he leads me beside still waters or peaceful waters. He leads me. This is the first of three different places in these six verses that he leads people. He says, he leads me besides still waters. He leads me to a place of rest, of peace. How many of you know we're living in a time where we need peace? Amen? And he says, he restoreth my soul. And this is so important because when we look at the word restoreth my soul, a lot of times we take it as wanting to reset us back to before whatever the problem was that came 
at hand. But he doesn't stop there. That word restore goes all the way back to Adam. Jesus didn't come to the cross and die there to restore you back to where you were last week before your problems came. He went to the cross to restore you back into your rightful place where Adam was before he sinned. And because of that, now you're seated in heavenly places with him. Amen? So if we only satisfied or, or, or settle for last week, we're cutting it way too short, folks. We need to be restored back in fullness. Amen? And he restoreth my soul. He restoreth me, my, my thinking. But I have to be willing to let him do that. I mean, if you know the Bible says in Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And if you don't know what God's will is, then you'll settle for next week, for last week's mindset, restore, restoration, instead of what he provided. So we have to part to play in this. We have to what? Renew our mind according to what did God say, not what CNN said, not what Fox News says, not what the Internet says, not what everybody else is talking about. But what did God say? That's where we want to be restored back to. <coughs> Excuse me. Here again, the second part. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness. There again, he's leading us. He's taking us somewhere. He's not behind us, driving us. He's a leader. He leads. He's in front, leading us in the path of righteousness. Made mention a couple of weeks ago, we were going over this, about the fact that it says there in Proverbs uh, 3, verse 5 and 6, you know, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Lean not, against, lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct your paths. He will direct us according to his word. He has given us and sent Holy Spirit to be our guide, our teacher, our comforter along the way, and to engage with the Holy Spirit so that we can hear his voice and move in the direction he tells us to move in. Amen? So he leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He is a good shepherd. His reputation is out there, and he's going to provide everything possible for you to be successful. This is the days that we're living in. We're not living in the Old Testament. We're not living in the millennial reign where we have no adversary to deal with. We're living today where there's still an adversary. It's a day of grace for the church. But you wouldn't need grace or an empowerment. That's what grace means. If there was no opposition, would you? How many of you know we got opposition? Then we have grace. And not just some grace, but more than enough grace. Lots of grace. Loss of empowerment to overcome every single obstacle. Then he goes on in verse 4 and it says this is where we were last week. Yea, that word yea means even. So he could say, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's bringing into another situation. He's done all this for me. And then he comes into a place of leading me into the shadow of the valley of death. Now, nobody wants to go to the valley of the shadow of death. You won't see any of that advertised online or on TV for vacations. You'll see uh, cruise ships. You'll see foreign destinations to different lands, islands, and all kind of things. But you'll never see a picture of Death Valley and say, don't you want to be here? Sitting in a lounge chair out there with an umbrella. You, you won't find that. 
because nobody wants to go to the valley of the shadow of death for vacation. But you know what? We brought out last week that he leads us even there. But the important word there in that particular verse is, yea, though I walk through. Say through. Through is the most important word on that whole part right there. He's not saying you just stay there. He said, I'm walking you through this point. We're going through the valley of the shadow of death. We brought out last week about the fact that the valley is really the easiest route to get us to the summit. You don't go from one mountaintop to the other mountaintop up and down like that. You, it winds its way through the valley to get up to your proper destination. That's the easiest route. And how many of you know along the valleys are the pools of waters and the green grasses to be eaten and drank, drank by, the, by the herd? You don't find that on the top of the mountain. They're in the valleys. Although it's darker there, you got cliffs on both sides and it's kind of like spooky going up through there. He says, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. I'm not doing this by myself. You're right here with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That rod was, I made mention last week, is a, is a defensive thing and it represents authority of God. The authority of God goes with me through the valley of the shadow of death. And so does his staff. That staff is the Holy Spirit. His Spirit, the Spirit of God goes with us. We're not out there on our own. When He is your shepherd, you know He's right there with you. My shepherd walks me through the valley of the shadow of death. And because of it, I don't have to fear any evil. I don't have to fear any evil of, of sickness. I don't have to feel any evil of, of poverty or family issues or people issues or anything else. Why? Because he's with me. And his rod and his staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. In other words, I can lie down in those green grasses that he provided. Throughout all of this, the, uh, this chapter, you'll be able to see prosperity, a fullness, all needs met as we go down through here. All the needs that you'll ever have has already been taken care of. He goes on and he says, and uh, let's see, we're going to start and go into verse 5. So as we prepare to go in verse 5, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I thank you as we continue in Psalms 23, that our ears are open to hear your word, that our hearts are, are ready to receive what you're saying to each one of us. You know where every person is here in this house, those that are watching online and those that will be watching it in the future. Lord, you know where we are and your word will can penetrate down to where we live and bring life, bring restoration and peace. Lord, we thank you right now that your word does all of those things in our lives as we submit it to you in Jesus name. Amen. He says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anybody here got any enemies? Nobody raised their hand. Well, let me just go ahead and tell you. You do. His name is Satan. He's an adversary. And he came, Jesus said, right there in John 10, he has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. He don't like nothing about you. Matter of fact, he's a fallen angel. He's not even made in your class. And he don't like it. You've been made higher than those angels. 
They may be stronger. They may be all kind of things. But he didn't. He wasn't made in the image and likeness of God. And he don't like you at all. And one day we'll be able to stand in heaven and we'll look over there and, and recognize this is what I was afraid of. This? This is what caused me to, to live in fear? This is what caused... Yeah. And you'll be looking over there and that was the devil. And he, he buffaloed you. He lied to you. He... He taunted you. He did all kind of things. And now in your flesh, you're no match for it. But how many of you know your flesh is just your earth suit? You're really the one that's in the body. You're a spirit being. But in your flesh, if you try to meet him head on flesh to demonic spirit, you're going to lose. If you try to do it with your soul, with your mind, your will, emotions, your education, you're going to lose. But if you'll do it in who you are, a spirit, a son of the Most High God, he's already defeated. Amen? And it says there that God is preparing a table for me. And you realize something? Thou preparest a table before me. He's preparing one for me, but he's doing it before me in the presence of my enemies. Now that tells me something. That tells me that while I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, wondering if I'm going to make it through, he's over here in front of all the people that hate my guts, all the troubles of the world, and he's preparing a, a banquet table for me because he has more faith in me getting here than I have while I'm over there in that valley. He's saying... I got more faith in you. I got so much faith in you making it because I put my word in you that you're going to end up over here. That's why I'm fixing all this dinner for you. That's why I'm preparing something here for you. And if God can believe that about you, can't you believe that about you? That you can do it? Hopefully you will by the end of this message today. Because he's prepared a place for you He's prepared a place for me. He has more confidence in us making it than we have in ourselves. Now, from a shepherd's perspective, a shepherd would go before his flock while they're eating over here. They would go in advance to check out the land they're going to, and they'd be looking around for predators, any signs of it, be looking for footprints on the ground, whether it be wolves or, or bears, lions, whatever it may be. They'd be looking not only, oh, that's a, bear footprint, but how many tracks are there? How many predators are over here that my flock may encounter? How many wolves are over here? So he's taking notes and watching, running off anything that he can see. But he not only does that, he also takes notice of the grass. He makes sure that there's no poisonous plants out here that these sheep are going to come and eat because they're dumb, like us. We just eat. We thought it was okay. It was something we put in our mouth. We just ate it. And he knows that they'll eat those poisonous plants and die. And so he's out there and he's pulling those up at the different places. And if it's a whole lot, then he makes a note that when they get up into this area, that they're not allowed to go over by those poisonous plants. Why? Because he's a shepherd and he's watching after them. And it says there that he goes before them. And he's taking notice of all these things. Now, our great shepherd knows our yesterday. How many of you realize that? 
and he knows our today, and he knows our tomorrow. And he has ordained a place, a destination for each one of us to arrive at. Custom just for you. He knows you. And he knows not only the place, but the time as well. At what time you will arrive. We may not know that. We may be wondering if we will ever arrive. But he knows. And he's planning it. And as we are walking through today, our shepherd is preparing our tomorrow. Why? Because he's my shepherd. And he lays his life down for me. He loves me. He provides everything that I have need of. God is preparing a place of refreshment and a place of rest for me to come to. Now, a table represents a time of refreshing. And maybe you know that you can go uh, right before lunch and you might be a little bit irritable. But once you sit down and start eating, start drinking a little bit there, you know, not the hard stuff, but just any, any type of refreshment, you start to feeling better, huh? You start to feeling good. You kind of even relate to the fact that you're eating with so-and-so and, you know, somebody else. And you're relating now, thinking in your mind that you kind of feel better when you get around that person when really all along it's been the food that you're eating that's causing you to feel better. Huh? That's why guys take out girls on dates and they take them out to eat. Why? Because they want them to think that if you get around me, you feel better. Now, the table setting is prepared like only God can prepare. Only God can prepare it, uh, such a table. Everything is perfect. My God doesn't just go out there and say, well, we're going to have a can of beanies and weenies for you. I know what you've gone through, but you're not getting it. No, 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 not my God. Everything is perfect, lacking nothing. And everything that is upon that table is needful. There's no reason to have it there if it's not something we need. So he's provided a table and he's put everything that you'll have need of on that table. Now, if you were invited to a banquet or to a special dinner, you may come and you find yourself, you're all dressed up and everything, and you show up at this banquet table, and if you look real closely, you'll notice that all the plates are positioned in a certain order. That the silverware is only X amount of inches from the end of the table to the front part of it, and the glass as well. Everything is precise about its placement. And if man would go to that much trouble, don't you think God would? It's not haphazard just thrown out there with some paper plates and, you know, some uh, package that you just rip open and say, here you go. I mean, you might do that at Mama's house on the 4th of July, but you don't do that at a banquet. And God spares nothing. He is a God of abundance. Why would he want to just throw you out a hot dog? Is that hot dog going to really get you to the next place? Because he knows where you're going. So he's putting everything out there, and it's there for a reason. And if man would go to so much trouble doing what he's done... How much more would our great shepherd spare no expense? If it's on the table, it's important. Nothing's there on God's table that he's made and set for you just to fill a void. It's like, well, there's an empty spot. We'll put something there. Now, the table is prepared with everything that you will need for your tomorrow. 
So whatever you do, don't pass up the spinach. You need it. Amen? It says there, Thou preparest a table. Once again, the great shepherd's meeting every need. Why? Because he said to start with, I shall not want. So whatever you have need of to get you through your tomorrow, he's already provided. You shall not want anything. Now the table is not only a place of refreshment, of meeting our physical needs, but also a place of fellowship. Huh? Yeah. It's not just that he's fixing you a place that, oh, here's you some food over here. Eat it and keep running. No, he's there also and says, I'm here to talk to you about what happened yesterday. And this is where we miss it a lot of times. See, our great shepherd desires to not only hear your version of your experiences in the valley of the shadow of death, but prepares you for tomorrow's assignment. How many know your versions of the shadow of your experiences in the shadow of death may be a little bit different than what somebody else might have observed. We see this in the scriptures. Did he not send out 70, Jesus one time, send out 70 disciples to go out and to heal the sick, preach the gospel, cast out devils? Remember that? And it says there, right there after that, that they came back rejoicing. Tell them, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. Isn't that right? And just a little bit longer, just a couple of more chapters over, we find where God said, I brought my son to your disciples to cast the devil out, but they couldn't do it. Well, they failed to tell that episode. So there's another version to the story, too. You see, Jesus wants you to come and say, you know, we did all this out there, but there was this one guy, Lord, we, 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 we couldn't cast the devil out of. And he'd say, well, let's talk about that. Why do you think that's so? You see, that's what he does at this table that he's prepared for you. He doesn't want to just hear your version of the story. He wants to hear all of it and talk to you about even the failures. So this place that he's prepared for you in the midst of his enemies, in your enemies, the place he went before you knowing that you were going to get there, is not just a place to eat but a place to have communion, a place where you can sit down and talk. This is talking about, this is fellowshipping with the Lord on a daily basis. Talking to him about your day, talking to him about how great it was when you did this and when this happened and, and how everything came together, but also talking to him about, you know, I just didn't feel right. Lord, something was wrong. I, I felt out of, out of whack. Uh, I, I wasn't able to accomplish what you said. I don't know why. And he said, well, let's talk about why you couldn't. And you may find out it's because you're lacking in something. And he don't want you lacking in anything. It's not that he hadn't furnished it and, and, and given it to you, your supply. It's the fact that you hadn't received it. Are you hearing me? And he doesn't want you to go lacking. He wants you to have it. The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of it, and he gives it to him. Upbraideth not, right? So he'll be complete, lacking nothing. He don't want you to have lack in your life. Nowhere in the scriptures he wants you walking around lacking. He delights in the communion that he has with his flock. Our great shepherd doesn't dread meeting with you. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, here comes Bill. Wonder if we can cut this short. Maybe somebody will call me for healing and I can get up and leave. No, he doesn't do that. He's like, there's Bill. And he makes a to-do over Bill like, I hadn't seen you in a hundred years, but I saw you this morning. 
And I just couldn't wait till you got back over here. Let's keep pick up where we left off and just talk and talk and talk, preparing just undivided attention. Why? Because that's who our God is. He doesn't dread seeing you. He delights in seeing you. He looks forward to the fellowship. You are his agenda. You hear me? If he wanted to be out creating more galaxies, he could be doing that, but he doesn't. He wants to be right there for you because you are on his mind and always have been. That's my shepherd. Now, see, if you don't get this revelation of who you are and who your shepherd really is, you can stumble through this life and just kind of like, well, I was just trying to get through the best I could when that's not what he provided. We need to really look at Psalms 23, 5, about how we are to be and how we're to receive from him. How many of you know that your yesterday may not be as accurate as God's version? Hmm? And we need to recognize that, and we need to talk to God about that yesterday, that we just kind of like, well, that's, that happened over there. I'm, I'm behind it. That, that's already passed. Has it? Has it really passed? the hurts, the disappointments that you received, did you forgive those people? Or are you still holding on to them thinking it doesn't have an effect on your tomorrow? Well, I know that you love them too, Lord, and I didn't want to bring up at the table what they did to me like he doesn't know. Well, maybe it's just the way you perceived what took place. at the, And he's wanting to show you that's not the intent at all because he doesn't want you to go stumbling into your tomorrow unprepared, hanging on to yesterday's faults. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I just knew y'all would enjoy that. Everything at the table is important. Don't skip the meal. Skipping meals is not wise when you're exerting energy, and that's what you're doing when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It takes energy, both physically and mentally. And mealtime is as important as your time of rest. You see, if you find yourself in trouble skipping your meals and sleep, you're going to be hurting. Things are going to start coming up. You'll notice that you're all of a sudden, when you're around people, you, you become negative and you become frustrated. You become confused. You're tired. Why? Because you haven't eaten. You haven't rested. You get short. And our mealtime replenishes us both physically and mentally. You see, God's mercy is new every morning, right? Shouldn't we want to walk in the newness of it? Oh, yeah. Walk in the newness of his mercy every day. Paul said, walk in the newness of life. Romans 3, we need to walk in the newness of life, not the old man's life, but the new life that we have. Walk in that newness. Your reassurance of the great shepherd's love and devotion towards you is imperative. So receive all that he has at the table. Now, as I was preparing for this, there's a question that rose up, or actually a few questions that rose up as I was thinking about this table. And that was this, question number one. Does everyone make it to the table that's been prepared for? Now, Jesus went in the midst of your enemies and prepared a place for you to show up. 
This is your destination, but does everybody make it there? Hmm. You see, God knows what he has for you, but will you go there? Will you yield your life to that degree that you'll make it to that destination? Now, he knows where you're going to end up, but he still prepared something else for you because this is where you were supposed to be. Are you hearing me? Number two, why would they not make their destination? Why is it they wouldn't show up at the appointed time and place that the Lord would have for them? Question number three, is there an alternate table? I thought about that for two days. Cutting grass, blowing stuff off, doing all kinds of things, but just always running around in my mind. What are you saying, Lord? You see, I don't believe that everyone makes it to the table that the Lord's prepared for them. He prepared the table because that's where they were supposed to be. But you have a say in it. You have a say in whether or not you're going to show up or not. Whether you're going to walk out what he's called or quit or whatever along the way. So it could be that he's prepared a place for you, but you didn't show up. So why wouldn't you show up? What would cause you not to show up? Well, maybe you've taken offense to something said by somebody or how someone else treated you. Maybe you took offense to it. Wow. And regardless of whether they were right or wrong, how'd you respond? Because your response to how they treated you, whether they were right or wrong, the way you interpreted it has caused you now not to make it to your destination, the table. Now, if you'd have responded properly, you could have went to the table and sat down and said, Lord, I don't know what happened today, but so-and-so, they just... You know what I'm saying? But you didn't make it to that table. What they did, something that took place, a fear or, or a worry or something come up, and because of it, you didn't make it to the table. Maybe you responded in anger. You could very easily miss your table with the great shepherd. He had healing provided for you, but we didn't make dinner date because we were offended, sidetracked by disappointment or fear or anger, maybe envy, jealousy or unforgiveness or even just a plain simple misunderstanding can cause you to miss a prepared table that he prepared for you. You become distracted by the offense and miss out on your pre-prepared destination. All because of offense. All because that little devil, that slick, deceiving little devil, that we should know his devices, has caused us to stumble. Now we know what the word says, that if a man does something against you, how many times do we forgive him? Seven times 70, right? But we don't do that. Well, he did me wrong. Why would he tell us to forgive seven times 70? So that we'll end up at the table where we're supposed to be. Because if you don't, you will end up at another table. You're going to end up at an alternate table. And let me tell you about this alternate table. You're not going to like it. You can find yourself 
seated at the wrong table, a table that is feeding your disappointment, a table that is feeding your anger, a table that is feeding your strife, a table that is feeding your jealousy, a table that is feeding your unforgiveness, a table that's just feeding this misunderstanding, making it bigger than what it really is. Now you're eating at that table. Has anybody ever done that besides me? Got two honest people on the front row. That's it. Come on. Think about it. We've all done it. We've all missed out on God's table because we were eating at the devil's table. Whining, complaining. I don't know why he lets him get by with that. I hope lightning falls from heaven or all kind of stuff. You're, you're over there just mowing it all over a house. So-and-so's done you wrong. Because you're eating at that table, you can't eat at his table, the one he prepared for you. For that very hurt that you're experiencing, he prepared a table before you. Yet you won't let it go and give it to him. So you're not eating at this table. You're eating at this one over here of bitterness and anger and strife. And you don't think it has an effect on you? Sure it does. And the more you eat at that table... The more tables over here you're going to miss. Every day he's preparing a table for you in that valley of the shadow of death while you're there. And you keep eating at the wrong table. You don't get stronger eating chips and dip. Marcia thinks you do. No, she made a big prime rib roast last night. Hallelujah. You didn't desire the table of disappointment. You didn't de desire the table of envy or strife or jealousy. But if you walk down that path, you're going to end up there. You know, in Proverbs, there was a, in 7, there's a story there. It talks about a man who was looking out the window, and he saw this young man void of understanding walking down the street. And as he saw the man walking down the street, he knew what was going to happen to him because he'd seen it before. And that young man walked down the street, and all of a sudden this woman met him, dressed in the attire of a harlot. And she made all kind of promises and did all kind of things and saying, look, the good man's gone. He won't be back for a while. I've paid my tribute. I've done all these things. Why don't you just come on home with me, and we'll just fill out. And it says that he went to his destruction. Why? How many of you know he wasn't eating at the right table that morning? Huh? He lacked understanding. He could have got that understanding and said, no, 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 no. Not so, not today. <coughs> if he'd been eating at the Lord's table. <coughs> Hadn't been eating there. So he went down the wrong road. Why? Because he was void of understanding. He could have got understanding. He didn't. He got something else. In Matthew's gospel, in chapter 16, we find where Jesus, it says, came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked the disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elias. Some say you're one of the prophets. He said, Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up, and he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Huh, blessed, 
thou art Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Blessed are you. It wasn't <coughs> for just a couple of scriptures later. <coughs> Excuse me. It wasn't just a few scriptures later in verse 21. It says, from that time forward began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. And Peter took him. This is, we're talking two verses difference. Peter took him and said, not so, Lord. I ain't rebuke God, rebuke Jesus. Say, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of man. This same guy just got through saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he went on and says, And you know what? The gates of hell is not going to prevail against my church. And he was just building him all up. And two verses later, he falls, telling Jesus what he can do and can't do, and missing it all over the place. Yeah. We can end up messing up. We can miss it. I've got several other where we could do that, but we're not going to go to those. But we can miss it. How many of you know David missed his table? <coughs> when he should have been at war, <coughs> but he was with Bathsheba. He was eating from her table and not eating at the Lord's table. How many of you know Saul missed his table when he became prideful and feared the people? He ate at the people's table instead of the Lord's table. Huh? And there's many cases throughout the Bible where God revealed how God, God, goodly God-serving, feared men missed their table and dined at the wrong table. And if it could happen to them, it could happen to us. Amen? But it doesn't have to. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, because He's our God. He's our comfort. He's our teacher. And if we miss our turn, Holy Spirit, our GPS, directs us back where we're to be on track. It may be as simple as turn around, just turn around a little bit because you weren't paying attention to where you were. You missed your turn. But what if you traveled down that road for quite some time and missed your exit? And there's not another exit for 20 miles. Guess what happens then? You get there and you have to turn around and you go past the same territory for 20 miles. You're just viewing it from the other side of the road. Just a, a total waste. You didn't have to do that, but you did it. Why? Because you were eating at the wrong table. The GPS will constantly remind you that you're headed in the wrong direction. How many of you found that to be true? I hate that thing. It does that. It will continually be updating your position and recalculating your directions that you better follow. Because it's not going to shut off 
It's going to keep reminding you, you've missed it. You need to turn around. You need to do this. If not, you're going to end up at the wrong table, eating what is not desired instead of what the instead of the meat that the great shepherd had planned. The table of the Lord is what you have need of. And our God knows our, what tomorrow holds. And eating at the wrong table weakens your fellowship with the Lord. And it results in the lack of trust in the Lord. Eating at the wrong table causes you to lack confidence. Eating at the wrong table causes you to go into hiding from the Lord in embarrassment like Adam and Eve did in the garden. When we should be running to his table, we find ourselves hiding from him. All because we've been eating at the wrong table. He goes on and says, Thou anointest my head with oil. Thou anointest my head with oil. This picture you, that we get in our mind a lot of times is the fact when Aaron had oil poured upon his head when he became the high priest and it ran down his head, down his beard, down to his garments and run off the end of his robe onto the ground where he was standing. He was anointed from head to toe, all the way down, and dripped off to the ground. And although this picture is accurate about what took place, it doesn't happen that way in our life. Nobody's coming up and pouring oil on top of your head, and it runs all the way down. But the abundance of the oil, of the anointing, that upon your life, that is accurate. It is more than you could ever need. The anointing that's upon your life, you say, well, I'm just so-and-so. It doesn't matter. You're anointed to do your life like nobody else. You're anointed where you are. Are you hearing me? It's not just the five-fold ministry that's anointed. It wasn't the priest in the Old Testament that were anointed. You are as anointed as anybody else because you've got a mission. You've got a task. You have an assignment from God. And one day you'll stand before him and give an account for it. Don't you think that he would anoint you so that you can make it through it and do it? Oh, yeah. And it's more than enough, more than you'll ever need. But the abundance of the anointing upon one's life is a gift from God. If he has called you, then he anointed you, and he ordained you for whatever task that is set before you. The anointing is not held back from you. You're more than equipped for the task. Your education your experience can actually hinder you. It can actually hinder you. You may draw upon your education, which has limits. And you may recall your experiences, which is limited also. But with God, there is no limit. God knows what you have need to perform the task that he has assigned. And no good thing will he withhold from those that love him. Amen? So he's not going to hold back the anointing for your life. He knows what you have need of. Never limit the anointing by your abilities, by your education, by your experiences, by your hurts, by your disappointments. Pull upon the anointing. If you were to join the military as a pilot, they would not expect you to furnish your own plane. Okay? You wouldn't be showing up with a Cessna 172 out there uh, to go head-to-head with a Russian jet. No, they would provide you with everything that you had to be, to be successful to accomplish your mission. 
They would provide you with the best training, the best equipment, the best education, and the backing of the entire U.S. government. All of heaven is backing you. He hadn't cut short of anything. The anointing is there. The same is true with God. He provides the best. He provides his anointing. Know that your gifts, the anointing, are not for you to make a living, but rather to supply someone else's need. Are you hearing me? I'm going to say that again. Know your gift, the anointing that's on your life, <coughs> are not for you to make a living, but rather to supply someone else's needs. Your giftings, the anointing, is not how you make a living. Your gifting and anointing is for others. We've gotten this backwards. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for the minister, but for those whom they come into contact with. Next week, Annie Durant's going to be here. The gifts in her life, the gift of faith, the gift of healings in her life is not for her. It's for you. It's for your family. It's for your neighbors. It's for your co-workers. What good is it going to do for her? It's not for her. It's for you. It's for me. And we need to recognize this. And the ministers, they know it too. Some of them are the hardest ones to get healed, and they're the, they move in the gift of healing. Because they understand this gift is not for them, it's for you. It's for them as well, but it's mainly to be given out. Freely they receive, freely they give. Your giving is how you make a living, not your gifting. Don't limit yourself to your giftings and talents. God is your provider. The anointing, when drawn upon, will reveal God's plan. It may not come all at once, but it will come. Are you hearing me? It may not come all at once, but it'll come. Do what you know and then seek Him. Do all you know and then seek Him. Trust Him. He said, Seek me and you shall find me. Ask and it shall be given. Knock and it shall be opened. Look beyond yourself to the unlimited supply from your God. If you've reached your very end, God hadn't. Look to Him. I remember well being on a job where nobody could figure out what the plans were and everything, and I went as far as I could. I took the blueprints. I, I, I figured out what I needed to have, what size conduit needed to be, how many wires were going to be in it. I figured up the color code for all the wires. I figured up a numerical system for all of the wires so that anybody could be there and be able to figure it all out, you know, with number code, everything. But how to make it work, I didn't quite know yet. And I'm like, I've gone as far as I know to go, God. I went to the superintendent. He didn't know. He'd blow it off. I went to the owner. He didn't know. He blew it off. And I remember sitting in the window there at University Medical Center, which is Baptist East, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Lord, I've went as far as I know to go. I don't know what else to do. I've done all I know. Now, Lord, you understand all this. You're the chief electrician. You know everything. 
Reveal unto me what I'm missing. I need to know. My assignment requires me to know this, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm confused about some things. He said, well, get up and go over there and let's look at them. So I walked over there, and I looked at the blueprint. And he said, look right there at the start. And I said, okay. He said, now follow it. And I went, okay, okay. Went through about 20 devices. And he says, and right there. I said, okay. Well, I understand that one. He said, well, good, let's go to the next one. So I went to the next one and went across it. He said, what is it you don't understand? I said, I don't know. I, I do understand it. And I went to the next one. There was like 40 different roles, 40 zones of stuff like. And I knew it. And I found some mistakes on it. I said, you see this? This don't make sense. He said, because it's wrong. And so when I took it to my superintendent, guess what? He's like, the engineer doesn't make mistakes. I said, well, he made one right here. Actually, he's made seven of them on this paper, on these drawings. No, and then he, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I said, well, then you tell me how to do it then. He couldn't. So the engineer came down. Guess what happened? We had it all set up. Got the main superintendent over the whole job. I'm holding up everybody, basically, because if this isn't right, we can't go any further. We're looking at all of it. And I said, across there, da 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 And he said, yep, that's right. I said, so when we get over to here to this one, I said, shouldn't there be an end-of-the-line resistor on this? Well, you know what? You're right. And he changed it. I didn't know this stuff. But God revealed it to me. Why? Because it was my assignment. I didn't limit myself by my education. I pulled upon the anointing. Are you hearing me? And if God's called you to do something, he'll equip you with it and give you all the anointing, all the reserves, everything for all the resources for you to be able to do it. I didn't come up here knowing how to be a principal. In 1984, I came up here and knew there was two ways to spell principal and I was probably going to miss it. <laughs> and I did. I found out that I was the P-A-L and not the P-L-E. I had no background to pull from, no education, no experience, none of these things. So I had to pull from the only thing I did know, and that is if God, if you put me in this place, then you've equipped me to do it. It doesn't matter what man says. What matters is the fact that if you put me here to do this, then you will equip me and teach me and guide me and show me and correct me and do all that needs to be done so that I can accomplish the task, the assignment that you called me to do. Are you hearing me? That's what I believe with all my heart, and I still believe it today. Still believe it today. If God's not going to call you to do something, he ain't going to equip you to do. Question is, is will you step out in it, or will you make excuses? We're not going to get through, are we? We have to go quick. Our soul, that is our mind, our will, and emotions, reside in our brain, but the anointing resides in us, the spirit man. Okay? Scripture tells us that the anointing breaks every yoke, and a yoke constrains us, and your past experiences and your education can limit you, your ability to perform what God's ordained you to do, and God will make a way when there is no way, if you will trust Him. How many of you remember those calculators when you first got one back? I mean, some of you, um, I think everybody old enough to know those little calculators couldn't do anything but add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Did you take it and say, well, let me work some great math equation? Or did you take it and put two plus two and see, did it really turn up four? I mean, we test them out, did we not? 
We're going to give it something that we know for a fact just to make sure it ain't going to lie or, or messed up or defected. But once we trust it, then it can solve equations that we had no way of knowing how to do. You follow what I'm saying? Once you start trusting in the anointing of God, things turn around. Always remember, the anointing is more than enough, and it won't run out. The supply is not limited of the anointing by your soul. But your soul can affect how much you walk in. You hear me? The anointing is not limited. But your soul can hinder it. That is why our minds need to be renewed daily to the Word of God. That is why communion and fellowship with our Lord at the table that He's prepared us is so important so that we don't miss out. Don't miss your dinner dates. Then He says, My cup runneth over. Did you notice there's an abundance talking again? The anointing was not hindered. I mean, you have more than enough. The cup runneth over. It's more than enough. It starts that way in verse 1, goes all the way through that there's always more than enough. You will not lack. Not just enough, but more than enough. When I think of this, I think of the woman, the widow woman that's in the scriptures there that had, uh, had a son and there was a famine taking place and the prophet shows up and she was like, they're going to take my boy, they're going to sell everything, I don't have anything. And he says, go get vessels and I will fill those vessels with oil. As you pour out, it will fill those vessels and don't get just a few, get many. And she went and she did what? She started pouring and she filled up all the vessels that there were and then what? It's, it ceased to flow. You are the vessel of God. You are the vessel of God. And as long as you are dispensing and using that oil, God is continually letting it flow on into you to the point that your cup runneth over. You can't walk. It'll be splashing around out of you just on everywhere you walk. If you pull for the anointing, it will just flow and bounce off and, and splash on everybody around you and everybody benefits by the anointing. It's not something that you just take and hide in the cupboard and say, I'll save this for a rainy day. Look outside, folks, it's raining. You need the anointing and you need it on every day. And you know what? Brought it up earlier this morning. You don't need last year's anointing oil. You need Fresh anointing oil. You need anointing oil for today. You don't need to be walking in the old manna. You need fresh manna. You need fresh oil for a fresh day. Pull from God today. What are you doing holding on? It doesn't get better with time. It was supposed to be used up. You're supposed to be getting fresh because the supply is unlimited. And you know what? It's just like His mercies. They're new and fresh every single day. The anointing oil knows where you are, what you're going through, what you have need of. And you know what? The, the, your, your, my cup runneth over. I got more than enough. I don't have just a little bit. I'm not trying to save it and hold it back in case of an emergency. No, it runs over. I got plenty. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It will follow me 
goodness and mercy will follow me. Why? Because I sow goodness and mercy. I'm not hoarding goodness and mercy. I'm sowing goodness and mercy. And if I'm sowing goodness and mercy, it's following behind me everywhere I go. I'm reaping what I sowed. Goodness and mercy. Joyfulness, cheerfulness, graciousness. New Testament talks about goodness being one of the fruit of the Spirit. I need that in my life. Mercies. Bible declares it's new every morning. There's no shortage of mercy in heaven. It's not on some barge out in the Pacific, okay? It's available all day, every day, at all times. As anointed as King David was, he always cried out for mercy. Have you ever noticed that? Throughout all the Psalms, he's crying out for mercy. He's recognizing, I need new mercies. There's a lesson in that statement. Don't allow pride to replace your need of mercy in your life. And it says the goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. Not just part of it. All the days of my life. Not just when I have a, 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 a major need. No, all the days of my life. All the days of my life, goodness and mercy is following behind me. To the point where I just look over one shoulder and say, hello, mercy. Hello, goodness. Why? Because it's following me. It's always there. And you ought to be, wherever you are, ought to be a blessed place because you're there and you've got goodness and mercy overflowing upon everybody that's around you. When things are growing great, it's easy. But when you're in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, it requires for you to stay focused because there's many distractions and know this, that goodness and mercy is following you regardless of the distractions. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I thought that was amazing. Always have. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He didn't say I'm going to go visit the house of the Lord. He said I'm going to dwell there. I'm going to dwell there all the days of my life. You notice it didn't start when he died. He was already dwelling in the house of the Lord while he was alive. Huh? You don't have to wait to die before you can dwell in the presence of God. You do that now, and it'll be a whole lot better for you. You know what? If you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever in everything that you do, when no matter what task you've been given, you do it as under the Lord, you're going to make your destination. You're going to show up at the right table and eat the right food and have the right communion be built up for tomorrow's assignment. And if you don't, there's an alternate table. And it's right there waiting, hoping that you'll take of it. Because if you start eating at this table, you won't be eating of the table that God prepared for you. I think it's time for we recognize some things in our life. With every head bowed and eye closed, nobody looking around. It doesn't take much to get you off track to miss your table time, to miss your communion time, to miss your fellowship time with the Lord. He's gone before you and prepared this banquet table for you where everything that you'll have need of is, is, is there prepared. He's waiting upon you to, to have communion with you, to get you prepared for tomorrow's adventures. The exploits that you're going to be doing for tomorrow, he's already got it laid out. 
They've all been written already in times past. He wants to share it with you. But little things like misunderstandings, envy, strife, unforgiveness, jealousy, all these things can cause you to miss your dinner date with God, with your shepherd. Don't miss it. Don't skip that meal. Do whatever it takes. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And if you'll do that, He will exalt you. He will exalt you. It doesn't really matter who's right or who's wrong. What matters is, did you make it to the dinner date? The dinner date will take care of all of it. Being right, holding on to being right, can have you eaten at the wrong table. Don't do that. Amen? Lord, I just thank you and I praise you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, that you have prepared us a table. And you did so in the midst of our enemies. Because you believe that we're going to make it. And you went through advance to prepare it. Lord, we believe as well. And Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new and fresh every morning. That your goodness is there available for us. Our cup does runneth over. You have anointed us for life and success. You've equipped us to do all that you called us to do. And Lord, we lean not to our own understanding, to our education, to our experiences, but we pull upon your anointing to do all that you've called us to do. If you called us, you equipped us, and we trust you more than we trust ourselves. We trust you, Lord, more than our fears and anything else. So, Lord, I thank you today for your word. Lord, next week, as Annie comes and ministers your word, Lord, I thank you that people will come, and they will come with a heart of expectation, an expectation to see and experience the true living God. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for a great afternoon. And thank you, Lord, for all of the military that serves our families and around this world. And Lord, we just thank you that you keep them safe. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.